welcome to The Brand is Female, I'm Ava Hartling. I'm back after a bit of a hiatus. Between the US elections and the latest wave of COVID lockdowns, it feels like we've collectively had a lot to process. I'm sure you're feeling it too. I know I've needed a bit of time to reset and reframe, which makes me really happy to welcome a special guest this week, the one and only Abigail Spencer, who we literally cannot describe as simply an actress anymore because she does it all from acting to directing, producing, dancing, writing, and now floristaing. Okay, okay, I know that's not a word, but Abigail has launched a really dope new company called County Line Florals, just as COVID started. If you follow her on Instagram, you've seen the cute vintage Volkswagen truck named Betty, which she uses to do floral pop-ups across Los Angeles and Southern California. Interestingly enough, Betty is also the name of Abigail's latest product collab with Canadian eyewear company Bolluck, a new line of sunglasses that just came out a few weeks ago. So you may know Abigail from her roles in Rectify, which is my personal favorite, Grey's Anatomy or Suits, but I hope you rediscover her today for the brilliant creative mind she is and the unwavering supporter of women everywhere who is on a quest to make her own life better and those of everyone around her in the process. Before we go to our conversation, let's hear from our partners at TV. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women entrepreneurs achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can support you. Abigail, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female. Welcome to my podcast officially. Oh my gosh, Eva, thank you for having me. It's it's just a delight. Like I'm like, can we just plan things so we can talk? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I mean, I'll say yes for sure. Can we actually say where you're speaking to us from right now? Yeah, yeah. My, we're in my closet. I was just explaining <laughs> to Eva that this is the most soundproof room in my house with all of the very like, uh, you know, it, it absorbs the sound all my all my clothing. <laughs> there you go. That's great professional advice. Always record from your closet. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> so I always start these conversations by asking uh, growing up, did you already know you'd have a career as an actress? You've recently added a new feather to your already well adorned cap which we'll get to in a moment. But I'm wondering if this foundation in, in entertainment was something that you dreamed about for a long time. Well, it's not a mistake that I'm sitting in my closet. <laughs> that's how I learned to create. I was actually just telling my friend a story yesterday. Is So when I was little, I had a very active imagination and I spent a lot of time alone. I mean, I have two brothers, but we're pretty far apart in age. And I mean, I... I had the need to create and tell stories and express from a very, very young age. I had, you know, invisible friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I was telling my friend yesterday, I was a huge Kids Incorporated fan and Mickey Mouse Club, mm. like the new Mickey Mouse Club. So those were my two favorite shows. Actually, I made it down to the final audition for the Mickey Mouse Club. And the day before, my family was driving me down to make it for the finals, you know, the one that Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears and Ryan Gosling and all those kids were in, yeah. that I could have, it could have been me. And man, my life could have been different. Um, but the day before, my parents were like, uh, yeah, we're, we're not, you're not going to be a professional actor. 
<laughs> before you're of age, like when you're 18 and you're, you know, you can go out and do what you want to do, but we're not moving our lives to Orlando. We're not uprooting the family. And so the day before decided not to go. I was heartbroken. I thought my life was over. I'm never going to make it, you know? Right. But it was so interesting because, so I'm recounting the story when I was probably seven, eight, nine, I had created this whole troupe called USA Kids. And we were going to be a touring, like touring, traveling group of performers. Mm-hmm. And this is all just in my brain, like in my parents' bedroom, using their closet mirror <laughs> as my, you know, my audience, you know, my stage, my feedback, my, you know, camcorder. And that mirror, you know, this like really very narrow mirror was where I learned to create. Mm. You know, I was not only my character, but then I was Rose who had it out for me. And she always had a bad attitude. And like part of the plight was like, Rose and I have to learn how to work together to create the numbers for USA Kids. And, you know, it's really reminiscent of like what American Idol is and all of the, the, the live, you know, talent shows where people vote in. It was kind of that, but a touring company. And it's just so, I mean, I played every character. There's probably like 20 plus kids in USA Kids and I played all the characters. And I just spent so much time in my parents' bedroom because that was the only mirror in the house, the only full-length mirror. Just dancing and coming up with stories and then bringing the giant VHS recorder in and trying to recreate what I saw in music videos and on television like I would hit record. I didn't have a crew, by the way. I'm like a one man band. I've got cymbals between my knees and an accordion and like a harmonica and (laughs) all attached to my body. I mean, that's what I was doing. You know, whether it be acting or singing or dancing or whatever, it was like, that was the curiosity. That was the thing, you know, telling stories and eliciting an emotional response um, where people could heal. I mean, really and truly, I think that was that was what I was so curious about. And it's just been, you know, my life has expanded ever since, but that's been the the thing. And that's what I thought I would do is tell stories and connect with people. You know, that, that seemed to be the, the quickest way to connect with the most people was through creating art and film and television and, and theater. So, mm-hmm. it, so that's just what I kept doing. I met a woman named Anne Ranking. And if you've seen Fosse Verdon, it's, I think it's much more well known now that she was Fosse's protege and, and his lover and they were in a relationship for a long time. So when I was 14, I auditioned for a program that she had put together to invest in young artists, particularly towards Broadway. I mean, that was kind of her focus. And she was bringing Chicago and Fosse back to Broadway. She was the choreographer. She was going to be the lead of Chicago. So it was really a renaissance for her. And she created this program called the Broadway Theater Project. I learned about it in a newspaper, mm-hmm. you know, that like a, there was an ad in the newspaper and Ryan King's coming to Mobile, Alabama to audition young apprentices for her program, people who want to sing, dance in the arts. And I was like, that's me, you know. So a, a group of my theater friends from Gulf Breeze, Florida, where I'm from originally in Pensacola, which is really a beautiful arts community. I had a lot of an incredible drama teacher. There's really a lot of support for the arts in that, and, you know, we had an orchestra, we had a ballet, we had a, you know, there were a lot of, an incredible community theater program. So I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go to that. So my parents let me just drive over with the kids 
the kids. We were 14, 15, 16 years old. The, the, the one person with a driver's license, you know, drove us all to Mobile, Alabama, an hour away. Yes. And you had to, you know, prepare a monologue, prepare a song. There was a dance audition, tap, jazz. And Anne Reinking is there herself in the flesh at a little table with in, a, in an auditorium in Mobile, Alabama. And I auditioned and I got in. You know, I found out that I got in and, and that really shifted the course towards my professional career because, you know, uh, even though I got close you know, with the Mickey Mouse Club experience, um, you know, my, and there's some like little auditions that came through town. My parents were really, they were like, you can do it all in the community, but not professionally. Mm-hmm. So I got into that program, trained with her, went during the summers. Um, worked very closely with her, met some of my friends still to this day, like some really beautiful performers, some really famous Broadway actors and incredible artists came out of that program. I did two summers back to back. And then I was like, okay, um, you know, they they kept saying this thing at the program, like you need an agent to get a job and you need a job to get an agent. And I was like, that sounds bananas. <laughs> that makes no sense. So I remember having the thought of just, maybe if I just try and be really great. Like if I can just be really great at what I do, maybe that, and that just became my sole focus. I'm like, I don't know how to get an agent or network. I mean, but I, all I know is just how to try and just be great, you know? And that's what my dad was surfing. He was like, you could be great, you know? And like, you could be great. You wanted to be a great surfer. That's what he showed me. He was a great surfer. And so he's like, you could be great. You could be a great actor. You could be a great dancer. You'd be a great singer. So I was like, God, man, maybe I just try and you know, just get great at this. And, and then how do I get great at it? Go to an incredible program. Mm-hmm. For Carnegie Mellon, which is an incredible musical theater program. Leslie Adam Jr. went there. Josh Gad, Griffin Matthews, Katie Mixon, Megan Hilty, Tay Diggs, so many people. Um, Josh Groban. And I'm listing a lot of people that were actually in my class. So I auditioned for that program. I got in and that's what I thought I would do. But when I was auditioning for that school in New York and for all the theater schools, I ended up, I was on a morning talk show, Regis and Kathy Lee. Long story short, Kathy Lee, my dad was Kathy Lee's first love. Um, they had surprised me. Oh, yeah. They met, uh, she was junior miss when she was 15. My dad was the East Coast champion surfer and they met on the beach, a beach called Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. And, uh, they became friends, family friends, kept in touch over the years. My, my, I mentioned my dad was her first love. So she would wish my dad happy birthday on the air every year. And we were like, you know, my, my family owned surf shops and her like surf shops. We like cross our feet. I hope she wishes him a happy birthday because also all of my, um, like, I mean, my, uh, the surf shop, like the sales would go up. So we were like, come on, Kathy Lee. Because <laughs> then the sales go up. So that was really like a funny little moment every year. She always did. She wrote a chapter about my father and her book called Quiet mm. Riot. My mother and her were friendly, um, but they surprised me on that trip to go audition for all the theater schools, particularly Carnegie Mellon, and got tickets to sit in the audience. Yes. I'm sitting in the audience. Kathy's in on right. the whole thing. And, and on the air, you know, five or 10 minutes into their morning banter, she goes, everyone, we have a very special guest in the audience today. And I'm looking around like, oh my gosh, there's someone famous. Like, Work, auditioning for my dream theater school, like gonna meet someone famous, sitting in the audience of a talk show, been to New York before my first trip to New York. So this is like, I mean, my 17 year old, like 
living my dream, you know, like, I'm also thinking like New York is made. New York loves me, you know, like, like things just happen in New York. So on the air, she says that and, and she goes, everyone, I'd like you to meet Abigail Spencer. And they turn the giant cameras around like they're giant. They look like alien, like laser beam, like machine, like it's crazy. And it comes towards my face. It's like the beginning of a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, like the red light <laughs> coming towards my face. And she goes, Abigail, tell everyone what you're doing in New York today. And there's that moment, you know, there's that little moment where I could be like, oh, I'm just here with my mom, you know, or like I could, I could say what I'm here to do. I just remember that beat and I just threw my giant curly hair behind my shoulder and just said, I'm a singer and an actress and a dancer and I'm here auditioning for Carnegie Mellon and other theater schools and someday I'm going to be on Broadway and I'll be a director and a producer. And I just like went for it. Um, I, don't, I mean, a 17, so green, like so clear. And uh, it, it turns out that when Kathy heard that, she, on the break, talked to her assistant, said, call around to some of the casting directors and see if anyone's watching the live feed or saw, right. saw you know, Abigail on the air. So her assistant, Taryn, who's so wonderful, calls around the casting director of All My Children, Judy Bly Wilson, happened to be watching the live feed, said, hey, did you see that girl Kathy Lee was talking to? And she wants to be an actress. Would you like to meet with her? And Judy Bly Wilson goes, why, yes, yes, I would. And so the next day I have a general meeting with Judy Bly Wilson, who is the sweetest, kindest casting director ever. The first, the greatest first person to me. You know, I wear my emerald green Mary Tyler Moore coat, my hat, and I'm just that girling my way all the, all the way. <laughs> Mary Tyler Moore and that girling my way all the way to her office through New York. Like, oh my gosh, like this is so magical. So New York, New York is magical. I mean, her cut to, uh, she ends up casting, you know, uh, luring me into, not in a negative way, but luring me into auditioning for the show. And I find it, I get into Carnegie Mellon. And then she, uh, after much cajoling, convinces me to make an audition tape for all my children from my hometown. Mm -hmm. so I get my best theater, you know, community theater friend, Ryan McCallum, to make the tape with me. Also tried to get him on the show, by the way, at the end of the audition tape. My mother's got just the VHS camera. Like, she doesn't even know how to, she doesn't know how to use the Zoom. So she's just walking really close to me during the close-ups. We send off this, like, you know, hilarious tape. They love it. And they fly me up with my, and with my caveat, I said, I'll come up and audition for your show, but you have to fly my dad up too and take us to a Broadway show. So we arrive. Kathy Lee Gifford sends her driver because she wasn't in town but she felt was so excited and elated and felt so responsible so her driver drives us around in new york for three days and her pink you know, town car i you know i'm still i just got into carnegie mellon like that's where i'm going this is just gonna be a fun story that i tell you on a podcast one day right right so i do the audition i'd never been on camera before in that capacity like never professionally never been through hair and makeup i'd only done theater and then like you know my debbie gibson videos at home or making videos of my brothers. And I, I just, I go, well, you know, as, right before I went out on, on to this, the soundstage, I'd never been on a soundstage before, you know, I, right before I went out, um, I just, I remember just very quietly saying to myself, I was like, maybe it's all the same. It's just stiller, you know, it's just, it's just less, you know, but maybe, maybe the camera will feel everything I'm feeling but I don't do anything differently. It's just less and let the camera really just capture it. And that was the only note I had for myself, you know, 
and I went out and auditioned delightful, you know, met uh, soap star Cameron Matheson, who is like a Greek god, by the way. Like, it's like, it's a little unnerving. You're just like, are you a real person? You know, like, it's so, so beautiful. And, uh, you know, do the audition. There's so many like little like nooks and crannies of the story, but mm-hmm. go on my way. My dad and I go to the Broadway show. They promised us we fly back to Gulf Coast, Florida. You know, I'm like, well, I'm going to Carnegie Mellon. That's so, that was so fun. Um, and I met Leslie Adam Jr. at my audition for Carnegie Mellon, actually, and we became like instant friends. So it was really wild. And he got in too, so he was in my class. Um, he was really the conduit to you know, to Carnegie Mellon, like we, we became very, very close. And three days later, I get a call though, that I had gotten the job on all my children. And I had to move immediately. I had to leave high school early. So I call Carnegie Mellon and I say, I tell them the whole story. And I'm like, I just got this contract for a three-year role on all my children. And I think that's why people go to acting school is to get a job. <laughs> And here I am with a job. What should I do? And they said, well, hold your spot. You should absolutely take it. We're here. If it doesn't work out, we're here if it does. And so I, I, I moved to New York. I deferred my enrollment to Carnegie Mellon, moved to New York, lived there for three years. And that's what started it all. And Leslie Adam Jr., because of my connection with him, he would come to the city. And that's how I met Josh Groban, other people in my class, Megan Hilty, Griffin Matthews. Um, so. And and I, I did not end up going to Carnegie Mellon, but um, that but but that is it's it's like you know it, it you just never know. But I just like I just want to be great. Yeah. So um, I'd still like to go to Carnegie Mellon though. <laughs> I know. I it's so oh oh my gosh it'd be so. Anyway, we're, we've moved on to other things, but I I do have this like, oh, just to really, you know, kind of just learn all the, because the things that I did learn because I learned on the job, I'd never really committed myself to, I guess, all the classics, you know, and it's never too late, but I really do love the classic part of history in the theater. Um and I do, and I still love the, you know, I, I, my dream is to still be on Broadway and I haven't, you know, I thought this was all because I was going to go to Broadway. That's impressive because things basically just unfolded as they were meant to, basically. When did it feel like, okay, I'm a real actress now. This is what I'm actually meant to be doing. Not till much later, because what was so interesting, when you get everything you want like that, I mean, I was 17 years old. My dream was to be a professional working actor in New York, making my money being an actor and living in New York. And by the age of 17, barely a, you know out of high school, I was doing it. I, I had it. Right. I lived in New York. I was doing all the things. And I was making more money than my father, which was crazy. You know, I went from like never having a job. My job really for me was going to theater class and doing community theater and doing my high school plays. I, I was rehearsing around the clock. Which maybe is what I don't, got me ready because I was so in the mode of creating all the time. But when I got everything I wanted, I wasn't happy, and that was what really set me on the journey. I was like, "Wait a second, I'm on it. I'm on TV. I'm a paid professional actor. Why am I so miserable?" 
Was that hard to accept? I mean, how did you figure it out? Because those realizations are never easy and you were actually quite still young when this happened. Well, I had a panic attack during an audition. Oh yeah. So after I left the show, my then agent sent me to go audition for a play. And I remember I was in the middle of, of the audition on stage and the lights and I didn't know what was happening to me. I couldn't see my page. My eyes blurred. I couldn't catch my breath. It was like the, like the, the lights got so bright and everything else got so dark. And I ran, I had to, I had to leave. I had to leave in the middle of while I was on stage. And I remember just like uh, running through the theater and like going out into the street in New York and, and the blare, you know, the sunlight hitting my face. And I was like, Oh my God, like I, I have to um, pause. Like this is not something is happening. I don't know what it is. And I don't, I'm not connected to my body. Like I, 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 I don't even know what I'm doing. I mean, I was just like, I don't even know what I'm doing. So right. I found a really incredible acting teacher that helped me reset because I was like, I, I have all this natural ability, but I don't have any craft. I don't know how to sustain it. You know, the, the work schedule and the show was, I mean, I, I'm a workhorse, you know, learning, starting on a soap is, is boot camp. You know, I am, and I think that's actually why I've been able to sustain a 20 year career is because I have that under me. But I had to, I had, I needed time. You know, I really tell people to, I'm like, don't start working too early. I'm like, don't go to college right away. Like really go out and experience life because I, I, I just didn't have any life. You know, I, I was like, I couldn't catch my breath. And so I, you know, quitting and, and, and my agent stayed, but she didn't, she didn't let me go during that time. But I went and I just got lost and I had to fail. I had to fail. You know, I got fired from the show. You know, they gave me a choice because they could tell I was, I mean, I was really unhappy. Um, I had also gained a bunch of weight. Like I was like, I was so tired of being judged for my appearance. I was like, well, I know what to do. <laughs> I'm going to eat my way off the show, you know, because um, they did. They basically were like, if you don't lose weight, we're going to not pick up your contract. And I went and had a cheeseburger. So <laughs> it was, uh, oh yeah. I mean, that is like a whole, like I, I, my, I will say like, I think my soul just protected me, you know, yes. throughout. it was right. So, so I really, that's when I really started the journey and it was so interesting. I quit, I've quit acting many times because I just find that if, if it is, uh, defining me or I'm finding my value in the the things that don't ultimately like satisfy or sustain um it's time to it's time to go like if I you know it's time to walk away but here's the interesting thing it has always pulled me back like without me like it just it has found me so I I you know I got an assistant job I ended up out in Southern California because my family being surfers my little brother was training for the pro circuit so I was spending a lot of time in San Clemente which is where like six of the best surf spots in California are my parents would always rent a house there for four months a year and I and I just started to heal I I mean I I being near the beach and the water in a small town like I'm still a small town girl mm. you know I I really need space and nature um, and space to create without it being my job, really, you know, without, without, uh, you know, people waiting for me and, 
and so much money being on the line. I needed, I needed to go, I needed a, a reckoning. So I spent a lot of time wandering and failing and then I started kind of doing little plays and started that band and, um, and then it just kept finding its way back. Like all of a sudden I, a year later, a year had passed and I hadn't, um, you know, I hadn't worked professionally at all and was broke. I mean, I mean, I was broke. I had no, I mean, I had negative in my account, but something would always show up like the craziest things. I would be working as an assistant for a family and they would be kind enough to let me stay there rent free in exchange for working for them and working for, you know, the family or nannying and, like all of a sudden one day a $400 check showed up from someone anonymous person, just like I heard that you, and then my, my then agent and manager had convinced me to uh, try going on another audition. And I had been on an audition in a year. I mean, nope, I could not get a job. You know, I was like not thinking that way. And um, they said they wanted me to go on an audition for a pilot. And I went, I'm sorry. I have to get my pilot's license to become an actor in Los Angeles. I was like, no, thank you. That sounds dangerous and expensive. And um, like, why? <laughs> and they were like, no, no, no. <laughs> they were laughing so hard. They were like, they were like, no, it's a test show. You know, it's like a te- they do one and before. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. Well, maybe, maybe I'll think about that. That sounds dangerous too, though. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that model. So my, my, um, it was a thing called pilot season and I wasn't even living in LA full time. And I, you know, again, I'd been fired from the last show. Like I had a panic attack on stage during audition. Like I was like, you know, it was, whoa. And I walk in, I do the audition with Jeannie and she goes, can you, can you, um, uh, can you hold on for a second? She's like, wait, who are you? Where are you from? I was like, she can't wait. And I was like, oh, sure. She's like, no, actually come back in an hour. I was like, okay. Um, and it, it was, it was just this funny character. It was like a national lampoons family. Like and it was going to shoot in Spain and, and it was this like funny family that was going to, you know, you follow their adventures through Europe and a half hour, like family sitcom, single camera. So I come back in an hour and she goes, oh, okay, great. Okay. So I'm just going to take you upstairs to this room and just do exactly what we did earlier. And I'm like, okay. And I walk into this room of 25 people. I'm like, where do those people come from? I walk in and I just do, she's like, don't just do what we did earlier. I do it again. I call my, my manager and agent. I was like, I just, she told me to come back in an hour. And I walked in the room of 25 people and I was in this, they were like, oh my gosh, you just tested for that show. And I went, what? She's like, a test is like when you're in the final round. I was like, huh? And we get this call and I have this test deal. And I, then I had to go to network. So that was the studio. No idea. And then a week later, I'm at network. I get the job. And it was like, what? Like, I haven't acted in it. So it just, my first audition back after quitting. And But, you know, I had found more of my center. You know, I'd found more of my space. And, and then that just kind of got me back into acting. I got that pilot. We shot it. It was very funny. And, and then it just, like, kept coming toward me. And. And, and I didn't, you know, I, I, during that time I, I got married, um, uh, very young and I ended up having a baby and, uh, you know, I did a lot of life things that gave me a lot of life outside. And I think, I think there was something, yeah, outside of work. And I think there was something to that, but I, I was always in acting class. I always, 
I was always act, I was always doing something creative. You know, I always needed to be doing some making something. It wasn't honestly until I was on Mappin. Yeah. Like and that's 10 years later. So from the time that I was cast on All My Children to the moment I was cast on Mad Men, that's why I say I got married. I had a, my son was just over one years old, like not even one. I think he was six or seven months when I got cast on Mad Men, but I had put in 10,000 hours by that time. Like I had really, and I had been cast in the lead of eight different pilots by that point and tons of indie movies, guest stars. No one had ever seen anything. Most, none of them had really gotten picked up. Maybe one thing, one thing that brought, actually brought me to Canada. I lived in Toronto in 2006 for almost a year, my first series. But Mad Men came along in 2009. And it was 1999 when I moved to New York and 2009 when I got cast on Mad Men. You know, so 99 when I got all my children, now 2009 for Mad Men. And something just shifted. It was, and I remember being on that show, I was like, oh, it was like everything kind of clicked. I was ready. I had done enough. I was already so in my creativity and working so much that I, it wasn't about the job or the results. And when something didn't come through or you, you know, you received a, a negative response, how did you deal with that level of disappointment? I had learned, I mean, look, I, I, by this point, I'm a, a professional loser, you know, I just lose <laughs> way more than you win, you know? I mean, I had, I had been up for the lead of 36 different television shows in one year, one time. This is all before Mad Men. And I became an athlete. I think I just started to get more curious about the process than the goal. You know, so I was just like, I was, I was an athlete. I was just creating all the time. And when, when, when I didn't get something, which was quite often, I would give myself 24 hours to grieve. Like just grieve it and feel it. I, I, I did. I got advice from an actor I worked with on all my children. His name is Vincent, and a wonderful actor. And he said, "I give myself twenty four hours to grieve." It never le le left me. I learned so many things from so many people on that show that never left me. It was such a formative. I was a sponge, you know. I was just like, ah, I got to eat, eat it all. Give me all. Give me everything. I was, and it really got into my body. But I just remember. 24 hours to grieve and then you then you move on then you pick yourself up and you go on the next date and so I would call my agent and be like give me another audition I call my friends in acting class let's work on a scene and I I think I just have something naturally and I don't know what it is but I I have this kind of insatiable insatiable well an insatiable indefatigable like uh spirit like it I'm I'm a uh, resilient you know, learning to ride that wave became the most important thing. You know, after Mad Men, I, my father suddenly died out of nowhere while he was visiting me on Valentine's Day. I went through a, a you know, very kind of horrible divorce, but I was a new mother, new life. Um, it, it was just, I, I call it the railroad track. I just kind of always felt like the worst things and the best things were always happening. Um. Well, so, so Mad Men was just the moment. It was just like, okay, the 10,000 hour, I, I, I ate it up. Also being a new mom, I just loved having somewhere to go. I was like, I have something to do today, you know, and reconnecting with it's. I think it's so important and for, and everyone is different, but for me, it was so important and still is so important to show my son, um, you know, find what you love and make a whole life of it, that I am fulfilled elsewhere, that I'm creating elsewhere, that I'm uh, you know, producing things that are so 
you know, spirit oriented or express, you know, being able to express myself is nutrition for me and it makes me a better mother. So all of those things, it was just like, I mean, it really came in in a rush, but that was, that was the turning point. I just remember standing on that set and being like, okay, I, something's happening. Like I feel connected and present in a way that I, you know, it just, it just showed up. And, and then that was the shift. I mean, after that I got cast in Cowboys and Aliens and This Means War. And I did this movie called The Haunting in Georgia that I was the lead of. And then this over here, it was just like, the, it was, you know, working with Sam Raimi. I did Oz the Great and Powerful and Chasing Mavericks. And it was just like, I really got to work with some people I really longed, longed to work with. And, um, and then, and then I will say the next step after that was when Rectify came into my life. Like that was, that was after my father died. And I had, again, made a really, like, I could, I was like, I am so raw, um, I, there's only a, there's only certain things I think I am able to do because I didn't want my spirit. I didn't want my soul. I just couldn't do fluff. <laughs> I was like, I can't, if I don't believe in it, if I don't mean it, if, it can, if I cannot channel it through my body, I don't love it. Um, and, and don't feel like it is absolutely, you know, my, my thing to take care of. I, I, I just couldn't do it. Okay, so that role was actually my favorite of all the roles I have seen you in. Rectify was something really special. And anyone who hasn't watched, I recommend you do. Oh, it was so, and I read the first five pages. I just knew it. I felt it. I thought Ray McKinnon and I had grown up together. I love the counterculture Southern storytelling. It was so authentic. And I could hear, I could hear the way she walked. I could, I knew what boots she wore. I knew the fabric of her dresses, like I just saw it all. I knew how big her hair was. And, um, and, and so I walked into that room with that knowing and, um, Ray just couldn't believe it. He said, when I opened my mouth and he, I started the scene, he just like lost it. He wanted to jump on the couch and like do the Tom Cruise, like, ah! like, you know, like Tom Cruise on Oprah. That's what he wanted to do. He did not do that by the way. He was like, I would never have been able to have a negotiation with you if I had done that. <laughs> He was like, you would have had all the power, you know, in the negotiation, but he wanted to do that. And, and, and he just said, it was like, you were her and it's just beautiful when that thing, you know, when those things show up. So that was another moment where I was like, and I never really looked back after that, you know, suits came into my life mm -hmm. right before that. And, um, something just switched, you know, and Madman was the, the, the switch. And, and I, and I just keep being curious about that. Like, I'm just stay really curious. And I don't feel like it always has to be with acting. Like I don't feel that this curiosity and, and that switch that happened with me necessarily means that it will always be on a set. It will always be through acting. Um, but I'm still interested and I'm still curious about it. And I will say the pandemic and the space away from it, because honestly, this is the longest, you know, it's kind of interesting. I gave you all that backstory because um, that year I started a band and didn't act and couldn't get a job. I mean, um, as an actor, you know, some of it was <laughs> self chosen and a lot of it wasn't, you know, me not getting jobs, but I, this is the longest I've gone without acting since probably I was 21 or 22 years old. Um, and it's been really interesting, really interesting to be in a space and really be like, okay, what am I really curious about? And, 
because um, because also I've been running from production to production in a beautiful way because you also when when it comes you just want to you you just want to go with it you know it's like well let's go with it and um, so this has been a beautiful moment as I'm you know know that we're all experiencing in tandem simultaneously on the planet this moment of like what do I want my life really to be to look like you know who am I in this. Um, this kind of forced pause um, has been, yeah, has been really beautiful for me to, to, to connect with a lot of other parts of me that are very creative. So speaking of the parts of you that are very creative, there's a new project I want to ask you about. So talking about County Line Florals, which has made you become a florista. I just love that word, so I'm going to use it. Um, tell me about launching that business. You had been thinking about it for a long time. You yeah. launched as COVID was starting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm sure you surprised a lot of people uh, with this new venture because you have you you had and you still have an established career as an actress and this uh is something completely different in a different industry and you went on to just launch a florals company (laughs) i do that i like i'll ruminate you know i'll have something that i am working on and i don't really i don't tell anyone about it and then all of a sudden i'm just doing it but it's been gestating you know like this this uh it, it had been inside me for a long time and you know, it really started from the day that my dad died. So my dad died on Valentine's Day, professional surfer, family of surfers, family surf shop. And he died visiting me while he was surfing at County Line on Valentine's Day, which is, you know, flower day. Like that is day of flowers, day of love, you know, like birth, new life. And so to have something so tragic, I mean, my father dying was my worst fear. I would, I mean, I wrote a whole movie before my dad died about a character whose father dies. And it's the worst fear of her life. I mean, it it was truly something, it was almost like my soul was preparing me for that moment because it was my, and then it happened. So then the thing happens that you fear and then Mm -hmm. what do you do, you know? So that was transformative. You know, I went through a real two year grieving process with that. you know, two years after my dad died, I couldn't get out of bed. I really worked. I threw myself into work. I mean, I just went to the next acting job and the next acting job, you know, set to set to set. Um, and also having my son, my son was two at the time. I mean, he was uh, a, a life, a life jacket as well, because, you know, raising him, I mean, he, I can't totally stay. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, he saw me at my depths and I remember he crawled into bed with me. He was three two, two, three at the time. And Mm -hmm. I was in a real, um, can't get out of bed moment and, um, took my face in his little hands. He said, mommy, don't be sad. You have me. And I was just like, (laughs) and he was right. I was like, I do have you. Okay. So what does grief look like? What does it look like when it's trapped in your body? What does it mean that I can't get out of bed? Like, I really thought I was going to destroy my career and my relationships and everything. It was, it was, it was uh, all consuming. And I felt like I really got in the business of gratitude because again, I was still working as an actor. And when my dad died, my community and the entertainment industry, I have never felt so loved and so seen and so held, you know, like it, it was so beautiful. And I really started saying flowers to everybody, thanking them. And, and then I started to notice 
but I didn't like the flowers that <laughs> I was sending. I was like, hmm. And I really kind of started getting in- curious about, okay, well, how do I find flowers I like? If 1-800-Flowers isn't doing it for me. And and also I felt very overwhelmed by all the options. So that was kind of in my consciousness. And then started saying, hey, will you send me photos of the flowers I sent you? And I was like, oh, boy, I don't love that. And then took some arranging classes in New York and um, I just loved, I love flower. I have flowers in my home every week and plants. And I, I just got really curious about it and County line that for, you know, I was, I, my, I, my father's buried in Gulf breeze, Florida, but he, he lives on at County line for me. That's where I go to visit him. I live in Los Angeles. It's about a 45 minute drive from here. And so when I go to see him, I go there and, and then actually on rectify Amantha's character and Ray did not know this the bar she goes to is called the County line and it would just kept sh- and songs and like everywhere I went, I was like, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to do something with this, but I don't know. I don't know. How- I, yeah. I, and I feel so connected to the surf community. You know, I wanted to do something to homage, you know, there were a lot of things my dad wanted to do. He wanted to, that he wanted to do with Interlight Surf Shop, his surf shop. There were a lot of businesses. He had a lot of ideas that he did not. Like, I remember we went to Urban Outfitters right before he died. And he was like, man, I'd love to have a store like this. Like, I just love, he just loved Urban Outfitters. Like, he loved stores and he collected things. Like, he, he, he was a collector. He was just so curious. And so I felt like it was of my brothers and myself, like, they're surfers. They carry on his legacy through surfing. I, I don't do that. So what could I do? And then it kind of all came into focus. I was shooting um, the last show that I got in the air is a show called Reprisal. It's on Hulu right now. And I was in North Carolina shooting and um, I met this incredible couple, Alyssa and Jordan. They had a little flower shop and they had converted an old, you know, 1960s VW surf truck into a mobile flower shop. And I was like, oh! I was like, can I? that's it. I was like, I saw it and it was like, cause it was, I mean, this had been, you know, permeating my being for nine years. And then when I saw that truck and I met them and I saw what she was doing, cause I was, I would bring, she would, uh, I call it, you know, flower shower, the set all the time and bring flowers to flood cost costume department, hair, makeup and culminating in the truck coming. And the gratitude I felt from the crew, that was the aha moment. Like I had never felt that kind of gratitude from a crew before and I was like, I have to bring this down. I have to do this. I have to, this is what I'm doing. I turned to Stephanie Myers and I said, this is what we're doing when we get back. And she was like, ha! she laughed. She was like, ha! she's like, oh, you're serious. Oh, oh no, she's serious. And she knows when I get an idea, I do it. Like I am not, I do stuff. I do stuff. And I have a lot of things, you know, all my other things I was doing in production were just, they're on hold right now. So I got back. I found this beautiful 1965 VW truck at Checkered. Um, which is a vintage car shop in Marina del Rey, bought it, you know, got put it in the shop and then the pandemic hit. So then I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've just bought this truck. And <laughs> the world is on lockdown. Um, and so I, you know, my mantra going into this year was, uh, this is how it, this is how it is right now. May I be at ease. The, another chapter in the process of healing because it I mean working with flowers is just such a beautiful reflection not only of grief but what has been going on in the world collectively I I'm not a florist I'm I'm a, I'm a dilettante in the space and I I don't want to devalue what the great 
florists are doing or just doing something else. You know, it's just a different way of approaching it. It's more of like, you know, going to get your coffee and going, you know, like kind of retraining the mind, like, oh, I need this in my home. So what happened was all the great floral designers and and artists were available. And so we just got to invite them to come work and come help, you know, execute various designs and, and vision. And, and then also what happened was then people wanted to be outside and Betty, the mobile flower shop, you know, she, she also got to be designed and, and executed during the pandemic. Like there was just all this space because, and, and fl- the um, fl- florals and the floral industry was the first thing to come back in LA. So it was on that first list of like, okay, this can come back and it needs, and this because they could be outside and it's COVID free and it, so we just started to develop and and I didn't even tell I literally didn't even tell my best friends I was doing this I just started making so I invited all these wonderful people over and we just started making bouquets and and teaching and learning and so I sent out thirty five bouquets the first and then people just started they were like what what do you what is this what's what's county line for but i had the logo i had this i mean i had it all at the website like i've been doing it the entire time i just was like let me just show you and you know another kind of beautiful chapter in, in creating is i have always longed to not be the product you know like as as an actor i i am the product but when i with county line we we you know, I get to design and create something with my hands and say, look over here. I made this, look at this. Or when we're out with Betty and, you know, we were taking her out on the town. We And what's beautiful too, we all have masks on. Nobody knows it's me for the most part. So when they come up to the truck, it's like, can I take a picture with Betty? Hey, you girl, the, the florista, can you move over there? And so I can take a picture with Betty. So Betty is a star and I really... And also what I love about Betty is she's such a, um, pe- I mean, people f- lose their minds when they see her. She is, uh, she's really a stunner. Well, you started the interview by talking about wanting to make people feel, right? That's what uh, made you become an actress. So this is basically what you're doing with County Line now as well. It, it's it's really, it's true. And I get to see it daily. Like, like because deli- I do a lot of the deliveries myself. And so being able to deliver that joy or, or just feel the response or people feel loved and cared for and seen, you know, the focus is joy. And, and that is what um, <laughs> we really need a lot of. And we got a really big dose of it collectively, uh, you know, kind of the, the news of after our five day election day, that we had a, a new regime and to hear the speeches by, um, you know, vice president elect Kamala Harris and president elect Joe Biden, like the first time in four years for us as a country to hear reason, to hear kindness, to hear words like healing, to hear eloquence, to be spoken into in a way, um, that we had just haven't in the past four years was like, I mean, I was weeping that, you know, I just haven't, realized how much I've been holding my breath and it just felt like this really collective exhale. Now we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of, a lot, a lot, I actually, I really feel that. And so part, part of what I hope County Line Florals can be is a part of that next healing, you know, part of what, okay, what is that work that we need to do now? What's we, we, we had a big, we had a lot of revelations this year. Like a lot came to the surface that we cannot stop, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, cannot stop. It cannot be like, okay, now we're, no, like we have to lean into it even more. And so I feel like County Line, my hope is that it can be 
a part of that healing, you know, it, what in whatever this next chapter looks like. It's great because you answered a lot of questions I was going to ask. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have we have some mind melding. <laughs> and you've mentioned women who have inspired you. So uh, my question now is my favorite to ask on the show, and it's what do you wish women would do more of? Mm. Oh, because we do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like women, we... Because I also came, something that shifted this year is uh, I went on a yoga retreat. I did two things, and that's how you and I connected too. I went on a yoga retreat and, uh, with 10 women that I love very dearly, and we have been on a text chain in a weekly, we weekly meet for Zoom yoga this entire year. Mm-hmm. That has saved me. Um, and and I when I went to the Wellsoul retreats and met um, Jackie Smith and Casey Crown, uh, that was really transformative for me as well. And to meet you and commune with you and you know find this whole new um, group of, of women that I deeply care about and support. I, I mean, I feel like we're do, doing it because I'm like, well, I want, I want us to be supporting each other and, and verbally and uh, in public, but this is something that came up for me. Um, you know, Kamala has her um, speech, which was so beautiful. And I was with a group of women and one of the women just totally, it was so, totally unconscious um, uh, criticized, uh, something that Kamala was wearing, um, like all this positive, but, oh, I didn't. And I wish I, 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 maybe it's an undoing kind of like you say, is that I wish that we would really watch our language around any criticism towards other women. Like, oh, I like all this stuff, but I don't like that. Like, like I, I would love for us to practice abstaining from any criticizing of other women, whether we agree with it or not. I think there's something to that. Like, I just remember it really struck me. It's like, really, you're focused on like how her jacket fits, you know, like really, and had nothing to do, but, but we do that. You know, I, I just noticed that like, there'll be this outpouring of love and support and then we'll criticize her dress or then, but I didn't like that. Or then, and, and I just like wonder like, really, is that the thing we're focused on? I think that we have an attachment, like, like even as much as we're growing in the community, women, we have a little bit of an attachment that mm, I still have to find the thing that's wrong. I, yeah, I do think that. And I'm really, you know, really checking that in myself is like, so, so maybe underneath that, and again, I'm working this out with you in real time is like, uh, really not looking for anything that's like really just focusing on, on the, on the thing, on the love and the things that are working, um, regardless if maybe I have a thought, but you know, the thoughts are so powerful because if I'm criticizing this other woman doing this great work, I'm really talking about myself, right? I'm really trying to pull. So I just think if we could abstain and refrain from, and it's not that we can't challenge things or not like things or, you know what I mean? But I just feel I don't know. I just feel like, especially around appearance, I really just want we as women to, to just like enjoy each other. <laughs> so I love that you bring up that this is a reflection of ourselves because we're always so critical um, of ourselves and of others. So I think there's always going to be something negative we come up with 
um, whether it's it's us or when we're talking about somebody else, another woman. And this is basically what happened with Kamala's speech, right? Um, and we have to stop doing that. So, so maybe the do the do more of is um, retrain our thoughts because you're you're right on the money. It's like that that comment was a, a reflection of the deeper thing inside us. It always is. So it's like I think just really love on each other and love and physically. Like I think like visually and physically not really just be ecstatically complimentary of each other. <laughs> I think it's like, yeah, yeah. And, but, but I think also visually, I think like obviously what we're doing, like what we do in the world, but I think that there's something really beautiful when you really love on another woman um, for how she looks exactly where she is not dressed up, you know, dressed up like and every, there's something so beautiful about women deeply and authentically showering each other with praise because I think, you know, some of that deprogramming is looking to men to be our reflection or romantic partners or, uh, you know, a romantic other woman to be that reflection, but really just in friendship because then we'll do it to ourselves. If we really are doing it, that's what we'll do. That's the, the voice that will come to us first. And I think there's just a retraining around it. Abigail, thank you so much. It's always so inspiring to hear about your journey and uh, the path that you're on. I'm very grateful to have you in my life. We'll keep an eye out for Betty and uh, for anybody in, in California. And we wish you all the best uh, with County Line and with all your projects. Thank you so much for speaking oh with me gosh, today. You too. Thanks for having me, Evan. For all you're doing and all you're doing for women. You know, I mean, this is you really are at the forefront of changing this conversation because the brand is female and who are we as a brand of women? I love it. I love this conversation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as always, it makes a difference if you subscribe, uh, give us a review. Thank you to TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. I look forward to speaking to you in a week with a new guest on the show. Take care. Yeah.